You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine, produced in cooperation with AMDA and sponsored by Forest Pharmaceuticals. Your host is Dr. Eric Tangelos, professor of medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and a certified medical director in long-term care. This is a special edition of Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine recorded at the AMA House of Delegates meeting on June 16, 2009. You're listening to Reach MD XM160. I'm Eric Tangelos, your host, and I have as my guest today Dr. Paul Sanders. Dr. Sanders and I go back at least 25 years, both Minnesotans, and he is here today to talk about issues of long-term care. Paul, thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Eric. Why don't you go ahead and give us your credentials at the present time? You've worn a lot of hats over the years. Well, by training, I'm a family physician, and the better part of my career was spent in a very enjoyable family practice. I took a respite from that for well over a decade to serve in an administrative position as the executive director of the Minnesota Medical Association, but for the last several years, I've been engaged in long-term care issues. I currently serve as the corporate medical director for the Benedictine Health System, which is a health care system in the upper Midwest that provides care for residents in about 50 different long-term care facilities. I also serve as one of the executive board members of the Living Services Foundation, which has a similar role with a number of other long-term care facilities. Well, there are a number of issues that are on the table with regards to health system reform that actually do pertain to the long-term care environment in our aging patients. From your perspective, what are some of the most important issues that we should be aware of and perhaps discuss today? Well, I was very gratified yesterday to listen to President Obama as he spoke about the need to reemphasize the importance of primary care. Anytime we deal with long-term care issues, our focus immediately moves toward primary care physicians. And President Obama's emphasis on the fact that he was going to, in his health system reform plan, make sure that there's appropriate consideration for the vital importance of that family practice, general internal medicine play, and the need for appropriate reimbursement. So I was gratified to see that. As we move more and more into the future and see the demographics of our population change, we see an increasingly large number of elderly persons. And that's going to be a very significant challenge for us to provide the kind of manpower in terms of physician resources that can provide the care that is promised when we begin caring for 40-some more million patients that don't have health care insurance. The president was uh, talking as well about bundling services, and I took that to mean an integrated approach as well. The long-term care environment and geriatrics really has prided itself on that integration. But there are problems as well. Well, there are very definitely persistent problems. And I'm afraid that sometimes the problems exist because we as physicians have sometimes not been as readily alert and uh, make ourselves available to participate in the leadership of those integrated uh, systems. But I'm seeing significant signs that suggest that indeed we're making progress there. One of the things that happened in long-term care has been the need to fill the void left by physician absence with other kinds of providers, nurse practitioners, physician's assistants, doctors of pharmacy. And this is an opportunity for us, not a threat, but a chance for us to step back into the driver's seat, as it were, and work with teams to provide the kind of integrated care that the residents of our long-term care facilities are going to increasingly need over the course of the next few years. 
you know, we've seen several things happen, Eric, in long-term care, as you well know. We've seen the length of stay of our long-term residents change dramatically. Uh, just four or five years ago, a nursing home resident came in and stayed an average of 180 days. We've seen in Minnesota that length of stay drop down to as little as 3.5 days. That requires a whole new approach. Physicians can't do it all. They have to be very reliant upon expert staffs in the facilities. As the length of stay continues to drop, obviously the acuity of the problems that the residents of that long-term care facility have continue to rise. Our patients come in sicker, they stay shorter periods of time, and the most common place of discharge now is not the funeral home, but it's the patient's place of primary residence. So our staff have to be better trained, they have to have greater experience, and they have to be able to turn things around much more quickly than they have had in the past. The president talked about reducing rehospitalizations and quoted 20% rehospitalizations within the first 30 days. What's happening at your facilities to help reduce rehospitalizations? That's really a good question, Eric. And I think it's not just what is happening at the facility, but what is happening at the hospital to prepare patients for transfer to the long term care facility. In order for that transfer to be smooth and to avoid some of the problems, there need to be, first of all, an enhanced communication system. The hospitals have to talk to the long-term care facilities. Obviously, one of the ways that that can be accomplished is by the use of an integrated medical record. And obviously, an integrated electronic medical record is going to be the tool that's going to become very vital so that when a patient leaves the hospital, the physicians and caregivers at the long-term care facility immediately have access to all that happened during that hospitalization. Problems happen because we don't prevent problems. And if we are aware of the problems that can occur, we'll be much more vigilant. You know, it's the resident that's admitted at 9 o'clock in the evening that gets in trouble at 5 o'clock the following morning that presents a problem. And with the use of an integrated record, we can access the kind of data that we need to deal with those problems before they become major problems. Have you done anything with regards to the advanced directives as well? That's always been a problem with regard to rehospitalizations and communication between hospital family and long-term care facilities. One of the issues with advanced directives is to help the facilities have a common advanced directive. And in Minnesota, we have been a leader in providing a common template to use in advanced directives. We've also had to recognize that there are a lot of people who have to be involved in that conversation. The resident, when competent, has to be a a part of that conversation. The hospital and the long-term care facility. It's not enough to wish that you knew the answer at 3 o'clock in the morning. You have to know what did this patient or this resident really want. And so that's a very important issue of concern and communication. Well, you and I both shared time together in the early 80s as being president of the Minnesota Medical Directors Association. And we share a common background with regards to Minnesota and collaborative practice agreements as well. And I want to revisit some of the issues with regards to the team. Our listening audience is from all over the country, and the issues related to scope of practice really vary state to state. We've been in a state, Minnesota, that's had collaborative agreements with nurse practitioners that you've already mentioned for well over 25 years. And the team approach that you already alluded to has worked very well in our state. Do you want to talk a little bit about where scope of practice has been problematic in other areas and where you see solutions to this, perhaps the examples of long-term care? 
Well, one of the issues of collaborative practice, of course, is for each player to know and to recognize the skills and talents that the other members of that team play. For better or worse, these are sometimes driven by issues of reimbursement. Teams consisting of uh, occupational therapy, physical therapy, nursing, pharmacy, and physicians work best when they know the role the other person plays. Reimbursement issues, as I suggested, really drive that, where there's appropriate systems in place so that we understand the role of each player, uh, we can find some solutions. But Minnesota has led the nation in some of these areas of collaborative practice. Issues have also developed sometimes by a default. And by that I mean uh, we've had difficulty in Minnesota, just like the rest of the nation, recruiting physicians to serve in long-term care facilities. There are a number of reasons why physicians may be reluctant to serve as a long-term care physician or a long-term care medical director. One, of course, is a time commitment. Physicians are increasingly pressed by the demands upon their busy practice schedules. And in the hierarchy of things that are important, the uh, long-term care facility often becomes low on the totem pole of priorities. A very real, although crass issue, is the issue of reimbursement. If your reimbursement levels are so low that it is totally financially non-productive to be at the long-term care facility, physicians are reluctant to do that. But I think another area that we can really afford to spend some time on in the future is the emphasis that's placed upon the role of the long-term care facility in a primary care practice at the training program for physicians. One of the interesting things that we are doing right now is we are building a a long-term care facility in one of our northern states, and we are in the initial stages of conversation with a large family practice training program to have this as a primary practice site so that physicians don't go into long-term care medicine by default, but choose to do it because they've seen the opportunities available to them through a organized approach that's focused on that in their training program. It's certainly very difficult to send somebody into a nursing home for the very first time if they've not experienced a a positive approach to it or an integrated approach to it, and we commend you on that particular activity. At my own institution, we like to say that we want everyone to practice at their maximal level of licensure, and that gives us the most efficient way to deal with salaries, with um, scope of practice, and what people can actually do. Have you struggled with some of the workforce issues, and have you come up with any solutions to retain people in the long-term care, particularly nurses and nurses' aides? One of the things that we have to do to retain nurses is that we have to, as physicians, give appropriate recognition to the challenges that nurses in long-term care facilities face. Uh, That means we have to be collaborative with them, we have to be responsive to them, and we have to be willing to participate in their education. It also sounds like you're trying to integrate your facilities more into the community as well, that not only are they part of the primary care practice, but they become part of the integral relationship of hospital to nursing home to community as well. Well, I think that's a very good observation. And one of the things I spend some of my time doing is working with administrators at long-term care facilities to help them understand the important role that they play and the, as it were, right that they have to engage in conversations with their physicians on a regular basis. One of the disheartening things in my role as a corporate medical director is to receive a call from a facility that is facing some significant problem 
And when I ask them, well, what did your medical director say about that? They will say, oh, yeah, that's right. We should have spoken to him, shouldn't we have? And, of course, I am able to encourage them to build this relationship so that when the crisis comes, that relationship already exists and it becomes a normal focus of attention. Paul, do you have any final words? Caring for seniors can be a real privilege, and I would challenge physicians to give thought to the significant role they can play to this increasingly important group in our population. This is Eric Tangelos on ReachMD XM160. You've been listening to a special edition of Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine recorded at the AMA House of Delegates meeting on June 16, 2009. For continuing coverage or to listen to President Obama's speech in its entirety, please go to www.reachmd.com. You've been listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine is produced in cooperation with AMDA and sponsored by Forest Pharmaceuticals. For more information about this or any other ReachMD radio show, please visit ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts. Thank you for listening. After a lifetime of creating memories, there's something that lurks in the darkness. Alzheimer's disease. When it advances, it's hard to slow. And each day that symptoms are ignored, the disease steals a piece of those memories away. To shed the light necessary to get patients the treatment they need, it takes the vigilant eye of a caring physician and the best pharmacotherapy choices available. Visit allscombo.com and listen to a webcast by respected long-term care authority, Dr. Richard Stefanacci of the University of the Sciences in Philadelphia. This webcast will discuss a landmark NIH-sponsored study that supports the rationale for using memantine and an acetylcholinesterase inhibitor in combination. Learn more about a landmark NIH-sponsored study examining combination therapy titled Combination Therapy Offers Benefits for Patients with Alzheimer's Disease in an engaging webcast at allscombo.com. That's A-L-Z-C-O-M-B-O dot com. Namenda, memantine hydrochloride, is indicated for the treatment of moderate to severe Alzheimer's disease. Namenda is contraindicated in patients with known hypersensitivity to memantine hydrochloride or any excipients used in the formulation. The most common adverse events reported with Namenda versus placebo, greater than or equal to 5% and higher than placebo, were dizziness, confusion, headache, and constipation. In patients with severe renal impairment, the dosage should be reduced. For full prescribing information, go to namenda.com.